It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger in a crowded room. This is a dream that you to Oh, Gen X. <laughs> okay. All right. Where we go, nobody knows. <laughs> around and around the merry around <laughs> To the shores. <laughs> to the shores. Cheers. I was kind of feeling all Alice in Wonderland when you said that. Well, where do we go? I was like, <gasps> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> where does the rabbit hole go? Man, I don't know, but I've been thinking a lot about that. Where does this rabbit hole go? Hmm. Of of like <clears throat> the West and culture. Hmm. What do you think about Donald Trump being indicted? Well, I haven't been paying a lot of attention in the last few weeks to yeah. just news in general. Uh, but the little bit I kind of grabbed was it was what hit me the most is what that actually means for Hillary and Biden and Trump. Like pretty much everything they're throwing at Trump right now, Hillary and Biden have some aspects that they are guilty of also, yeah. if they're guilty, you know? It was obviously a double standard. Mm-hmm. Like Hillary was guilty of the same thing and the Justice Department says we're not going to indict her because we're not going to indict a candidate mm. in an election cycle, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then now they're doing it to Trump. Yeah. And whatever you think of Trump and Biden and Hillary, whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It seems to me like... We are going down a rabbit hole that can't go anywhere good yeah. for a sitting president to indict a former president and current nominee. Like that seems like a seat once that seal's broken, which it is now, mm-hmm. how are we not going to see every successive what's the word, successive party do the mm-hmm. same thing to the opposite party. Just weaponize the Justice Department to take out their opposition. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is just kind of look at it in general that it's pretty much, I would say, obvious that almost any president, sitting president, or that has sat as a president, uh, has probably violated all the same things that Biden, Hillary, and right. Trump have violated. I'm going to guess in some regard. I'm, I'm sure there's charges that are not the same, you know, but right. it, I would not, I would almost imagine that you could probably indict any president that's been in office on some sort of charge, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, so on one side you're saying that, well, they shouldn't have, have violated those things, but at the same time, you know, four years of office and things are just flying around everywhere. And, you know, it's like, it's not, it's not that simple to yeah. just not, I mean, they're, they're dealing with so much top secret and, you know, things that it'd be hard to keep track of all of that, you mm-hmm. know? And again, I'm giving all these people a pretty, um, the benefit of the doubt, you know, ruling here as far as, right. you know, like no malfeasance was involved here. It was more out of neglect or stupidity or mm-hmm. something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, on the other side, too, in some of these instances, I'm also kind of glad there is a little bit of a spotlight on these things. Um, You know, maybe that brings more accountability to the presidential office, you know. Hmm. Um, I kind of doubt it. I I, I doubt it, too. I'm I'm being very generous in my my dissertation. Why? Why be generous? 
Well, it's like I, I, I want the best, you know, for our country. Yeah. And I would love, you know, it'd be nice if the justice system. Well, it just seems like the best isn't available to us anymore. Mm. Like we're literally looking at a Biden versus Trump repeat election. Yeah. Which is insane. I mean, it was insane that those were our two candidates in 2020. Mm -hmm. The fact that they could be the candidates again, that's. Yeah. The best is being kept from us. Mm -hmm. That's what it seems like to me. <clears throat> And I would almost even stay away from best, like better, you know, whatever. Yeah, even better yeah. is being kept from us. I mean, yeah. I think in a lot of ways, they were both the worst candidates. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder where this rabbit hole goes. Um, like this seems like an unprecedented, well, I think it is. An un, this has never happened before. Mm -hmm. um, and apparently there's some possibility that Trump will be convicted and put in prison, but that will not prevent him from running for president. So he might be running from president for president from jail. <laughs> I, I, I want to fact check you on that. That'd be hilarious. I That's mean, my understanding. I wonder if I wonder if a sitting president could be in jail. Well, I don't know if he could run from jail. Um, I don't know what would happen if he won. He just pardoned himself if he won. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, this is like going to be episodes of the Kardashians pretty soon if it's yeah, not already. <laughs> right. I don't know. Are you worried about the future? Um, no. Uh, you know, I think I think things will have to get harder and worse before they get better. And I think the the longer we prolong that getting harder and worse sooner, the worse it's gonna it's gonna be. So, but I do believe that we're kind of forced to into making good decisions. Um, in some, you know, in some regards, hmm. uh, uh, what it, there's a saying about the U.S. Uh, maybe you've got, maybe you remember this, but that the U.S. usually does the right thing. It just takes a long time for them to get there. You hmm. know, as far as like entering the war, or uh, you know, you know, we might do stupid shit and then <laughs> finally like kind of step up. But, I mean, historically, that's kind of right. our thing, you know, but. Hopefully that's still our thing of doing the right thing eventually, you know. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a wild card here. Maybe like a, there's a, a, a RFK. Did I say it right this time? He, uh, yes. Robert F. Kennedy. Robert F. Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bobby. he's kind of interesting. It seems like DeSantis and Robert F. Kennedy, the little bit that I know of both, both those, they seem very similar. That would be a great race. Mm -hmm. I would enjoy that. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, they both seem very center left and center right. Right. I mean, depending on who you talk to, everyone everyone on the right's far right. So, but like, I think objectively speaking, I would I'd put both of them fairly center fairly left, center, center yeah. right. Um, I just keep having this feeling that I, I don't want to have anything to do with politics. I don't want to have to worry about politics, and I feel like most of my life that was true. I didn't have to worry about it, mm -hmm. but I feel like it is true now. You know, COVID, I think, revealed that. Mm. Well, I think the part of it is, is like because we've gone from sort of small government and it's just like since you and I <clears throat> have kind of grown up and even before this, it can be argued. But I'd say that government has kind of grown and grown and grown to a degree that yeah, uh, it's kind of it's, we're starting to face like a bureaucracy a lot more than we are. Our, our government, right. you know, like there's be, the people we elect, but then there's the people who actually run the government. 
And that's the bureaucracy, you know, and they're not elected. (laughs) It'd be so awesome if somebody won and then cut the government in half, just fired half the people. Mm. (laughs) Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, you think about like the tech industry, what Mm, we did is sort of like, hey, I mean, I I know we're talking about people's jobs, but at the same time, it's like most of government's completely inefficient. Mm -hmm. And I just saw some, and again, I don't know if this is good or bad. There was a... um, in, in Austin, uh, the Chamber of Commerce and this other entity that existed together, they just split off into two different entities. Hmm. And I was like, the thing first thing with my head is like, oh, they just kind of doubled. Now each one of them is going to need to have certain positions that they were shared beforehand. Right. And so you just see the ballooning of mm-hmm. <laughs> the costs that are associated with those entities. You know? Right. And I feel like we've just kind of done that over and over and over again. Yeah. But yeah, I would love somebody to come in and just sort of slash it in half. I don't think, I think objectively, there's there's no reason why we should have as big of a government as we do. Mm-hmm. Especially when you think of you know states states versus federal. You know, I mean, that seems like the federal has grown a lot more than. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure both have grown, but it seems there's a little bit of more federal government growing where. It should be more 50 states and then you have a smaller federal government, you know. Right. Or that's my my understanding, you know. Right. Whoa. Just hit my volume. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad you're not worried. Are you worried? I am. You are. All right. Yeah. We'll do yin and yang. Do the yin and yang. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I look at the way that the presidential election is going. <clears throat> It seems like – and maybe it's just because I wasn't paying attention before because I think there was some allegations of this with like um, Al Gore versus George Bush, mm. you know, claims of election fraud and election mm. theft and all of that. And that ramped up in 2016 and ramped up even more in 2020. And I don't know. I think this next election is going to be nuts mm. and then add to the fact that there's a hot war in you. Ukraine and Russia that mm-hmm. the U.S. is sponsoring as a proxy war. Yeah. How's that going to end? It's It feels to me like one of those moments where you have what you could maybe write off as mundane or pedantic sort of childish events that are happening, mm-hmm. whether it's, um, you know, January 6th or Trump being indicted or it just came out recently that apparently there's a bunch of audio recordings of Joe Biden on the phone with Ukrainian oligarchs <clears throat> and possible evidence of um, influence peddling tried tied directly to him. Mm-hmm. You know, what's these things will come out eventually. And what's going to, what's the outcome of that going to be? Meanwhile, we have inflation, a looming recession. <clears throat> I'm worried about these things. Mm-hmm. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I can't help it. I have this sort of like, maybe it's like you said, things are going to get worse before they get better. Mm. And I'm like, well, how much worse? Yeah. You know, most pain is experienced negatively, not because it's objectively bad, but because you don't know how much worse it's going to get. Mm. Once you've been through something a couple of times and you understand what the limit of the pain is, mm-hmm. it's much more tolerable. Yeah. Most of what you experience as pain is fear of what – of how bad it might get. Hmm. 
the anticipation of yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, how how far is this going to escalate? Mm. And at what point does the unrest turn violent again? Mm. You know, we saw that in the summer of 2020, mm-hmm. and it was it was scary. Mm-hmm. I was legitimately scared. Yeah. Luckily, it didn't really ever spill over into the suburbs. Mm-hmm. But will it next time? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of a, a powder keg type. Uh, you know, again, I think what I'm talking about, I'm optimistic, is <clears throat> it's definitely more time frame oriented. You know, I think, you know, the next two to five years is is questionable. But, <clears throat> you know, I think it does seem... It's like I feel like we 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 need to experience more pain, mm-hmm. I, and I, again, I I mean that not will like wanting it, but like I don't think we can have the change we need unless we we have like again I think it's like you know communism for example, you know we kind of we kind of have this we're flirting with some ideas there that we've already seen happen, and I would hate for us to have to go all the way there you know, to taste some of those aspects of communism. To be reminded. To be reminded. It's like, I, I would hope that we could just be like, hey, no, we've done this before. Or even get a little bit of a taste of it and be like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's too much. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's come back from that, you know? Right. Um, so, I, I, you know, it's been kind of encouraging, I think, on the left and the right, just seeing more people talk about, you know, more outwardly about these things. And I feel like, there's some really great signals I, I see as far as like mainstream media versus sort of like the um, independent media that's kind of popping up. I think that's grabbing more attention, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I, I feel like has been helpful because mainstream media has been very unanarrative. Yeah. <laughs> unanarrative. Yeah. I, I don't know. I might have made that up Maybe just you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's, I mean, again, maybe that's kind of speak. I mean, I think there's something I could see like on my side by having sort of a rosy, like, okay, hey, yeah, in the next two to five years, we're going to go through this pain. But then you also need people to be like, no, we need to, we need to stop this now, you know, because you need people in action also and not wanting well, I just kind of thinking about the difference between you and I, just in the perspective that we're espousing right now. Mm-hmm. And I could see on my side being dismissive of the things that you're talking about. Right. And how that's not helpful or useful in a sense. And and maybe on on the views that you're talking about, not being able to see the big picture and getting lost. Yeah. You know? Um and the hopelessness of, of that, you know, mm. but I have more from my perspective is like, Oh, dismissive. Like, uh, you know, in two to five years, we'll be fine. Right. <laughs> yeah. But how many houses are going to get burned in, <laughs> during that period of time? True. You know? <laughs> well, and it seems like, and, and this is very doomsday ish, mm. but you know, the, the United States has to fall at some point. It seems inevitable. Every, <clears throat> every civilization does. Yeah. I don't know if we're witnessing it mm-hmm. yet. I saw something, but again, I, I didn't fact, I kind of go to the actual source of it, but Yellen was saying that this is the sort of the slow, um, 
slow demise of the U.S. dollar, you know? Yellen did say that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, and again, there was like three or four tweets, but I didn't actually go to the source. Mm-hmm. Um, so. so it could have been mis, dis, or malinformation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, probably shouldn't be repeating it right now. But the, <laughs> the two or three sources I did see, I was like, I was like oh, okay, they're usually not too, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you call it? Say off the off the cuff thing. So, mm-hmm. but but it does it does. I mean, what you're saying is just historically true. Yeah. I mean, I think that's whether it's you know two years or another hundred years. It's like at some point it might be a smooth transis- transition to mm-hmm. another system or or a complete you know 180 or <laughs> catastrophe. Yeah. I mean, I do see there's things like with like, you know, Jack Dorsey's working on stuff as far as, you know, Elon Musk. Uh, I do see this sort of push towards, you know, the whole idea of like the sovereign individual, you know, as far as each person being able to take responsibility for their own things, you know, whether it be your identity, your, your money, uh, um, uh, cause like even with, there's an idea of like a sort of a digital stamp that you own that's in the blockchain that you put on everything. So everyone can know that that's your, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not a deep fake. It seems like all those things are inevitable because we'll need to have some sort of verification that we can, and it can't be a state thing. We all know that, hmm. you know, cause who can trust like what state? Right. But. I wonder if this is just a universal across time fact. The future seems to hold so much exciting promise. You know, just like the idea of using the blockchain to ensure individual sovereignty, whether that's about your money or your copyright or your identity, there's so many exciting things there. Mm -hmm. There's so many exciting things in the world of... learning and education mm. the 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 universities are failing mm-hmm. but the amount of things that i can learn on a daily basis yeah just from youtube and the internet at, in at large is a game changer mm. so there's all these exciting possibilities in the future but then there's all always the potential that the thing collapses, mm-hmm. the currency <clears throat> collapses, the government collapses, the power grid collapses, and we got a taste of that during COVID. Mm. And the same thing that enables me to get an education in any subject I want also enables anyone to spread whatever conspiracy theory they want, which is on one hand a kind of fun, but on another <laughs> hand... You know, I come across videos of people talking about how the next uh, pandemic isn't going to be a virus. It's going to be the government takes down the energy grid mm-hmm. or takes the internet down, deems it unsafe, and we don't have an inter- internet for six months or something like that. And yeah. I'm thinking, well, that would make life uh, almost unlivable. Hmm. No access to information, no access to money, no access to each other. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because um, very few of us like keep more than maybe a hundred dollars, maybe a thousand dollars, you know, cash in cash. Yeah. You know, it's like and if the inter- it's all digital. If the internet went down, it's not like you could just go get your cash out of the bank. Yeah, it's all in a ledger mm-hmm. on a computer. <laughs> right. Um. So there's this this hope for a new level of prosperity paired with this existential angst that everything is at risk. And I think we tend to, since that, feel those things together as if we're feeling that for the first time. Oh, interesting. But I think every generation has mm. faced that. Just the subject matter within those two categories is slightly different. Like mm. I was just reading um, Ernest Hemingway's memoir called A Movable Feast about living in Paris in the 1920s and the all the expatriates that lived there that included T.S. Eliot and Pablo Picasso and Mm. um, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ezra Pound and James Joyce. And it's like the contemporaries that were all living there in their 20s, in the 1920s, they were all in their 20s, Mm. ended up becoming some of the greatest makers of literature and poetry and art the world's ever seen, Mm -hmm. at least that century. Yeah. But they had just come out of a war. They fought in World War I, which was a horrific war to fight in. Yeah. Like, I've got all this existential angst, but one thing that I'm not anxious about is having to fight a war like that. Mm. So that's good. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, it's, we definitely know it's going to be more about drones. And <laughs> but I guess that, that, that's, a, that's maybe another thing for us to think about in the U.S., well, and just information warfare, mm-hmm. especially with the advent of artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. it's going to become more and more difficult to know whether or not you're interfacing with something authentic. Mm. Yeah, which again, it kind of comes back to the whole blockchain technology thing that mm-hmm. we're talking about is, you know, at least you'll know the source most likely is authentic, right. you know, whether the actual information, that's a whole nother, whole nother thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I love what you said. It's like, it's like pretty much every generation faces that the same mm-hmm. issues. Like, uh, just thinking about a bank, you know, you, you have money, you either keep it on your property, you know, you know, hide it under your bed or, you know, bury it somewhere right. or, or you put in a bank that could be robbed, you know, mm-hmm. or they they could just run off with your money. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like that was safe then. Uh, uh, so it's just it's just super fascinating to kind of think of has anything really changed? <laughs> well, human nature hasn't. Mm-hmm. The tools at our disposal have. Yeah, I think it's just a problem with being a conscious and creative species. Hmm. Once you're aware of the future, you have the ability to imagine all kinds of things that you would like to do with the future mm-hmm. and all thing, all kinds of things that might happen that would be good. Yeah. But also the awareness that everything could go horribly wrong. Hmm. It's a difficult burden to be human. Well, also, it seems like there's a maturity in that too, because you know, you could be naive as many have been throughout time of, of what's going on around them, you mm-hmm. know, and then there is that part of being active and aware that 
also comes with a burden of being active and aware, you know, like, uh, wisdom comes with a lot of gray hairs. And I think that's, mm. that's just really <laughs> true. It's like you, you are faced with all the possibilities that could happen and could go wrong. And, but that also, that it kind of broadens your perspective and being able to handle, uh, those things. So, yeah. I mean, I just, I think of so much like, man, I would just really love to just be naive and turn things off and right. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. It really is. It's like, you can pretend that none of this stuff is happening and, Mm. and, and it's not as complicated as it is. I mean, you see this with like left and right. Like sometimes we want to just be like, ah, we're the right or we're the left. And just, it's that simple. And it's like, no, it's really complicated actually. And we need that tension and communication. Well, the, I think the problem with ignorance or naivety is that facing an unknown future Mm -hmm. means that you have tons of potential and tons of risk Mm -hmm. to the extent that you engage with that you have to fortify yourself against the risk and it's worth it because to engage the potential is profitable for you Mm -hmm makes you a better person. Yeah. It makes you a safer, more secure, more hopefully loving and kind person because you can use that to the benefit of those around you. Mm. Naivety that says I'm going to turn off the channel because I'm having, you know, it's just too much to think about. It's too overwhelming. I'm I'm not going to pay attention to it mm-hmm. means that you're not going to be fortified when shit comes. Yeah. And you're going to be taken out because shit is coming mm-hmm. of, of one kind or another. It could be civilizational collapse or it could just be illness. It could be mm. the death of a family member, the loss of a job. Oh, yeah. Just the loss hardship of a career. Yeah, yeah shit's sense. coming your way. Mm-hmm. So you should be eyes open about that mm. and take that existential risk and fortify yourself against it to the best of your ability, mm. which is what brings into play some of the exciting things about the future. Because with blockchain, well, we might actually be able to fortify ourselves mm. against things like the collapse of the banking industry or the devaluation of fiat currency. We might even be able to fortify ourselves against things like identity theft. Mm. And that would be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the question that kind of comes through mind as you were, you were saying all those things is, can you even say what you're blind to or ignorant of, or maybe naive to, you know, like, could you even scratch the surface of something like that? Like, it's like asking you, what do you know? What do you not know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, there's, if there are things you legitimately don't know, Mm -hmm. then no, you can't say what they are because you legitimately don't know them. But I think that we often, in the face of this unknown future and the existential risk and the pain of the hope for what might be good but may not happen, mm-hmm. I think we do consciously choose to not know things hmm. because facing all of that is difficult. And so we just pretend like, oh, uh, this bad habit I have is, isn't ever going to come to bite me hmm. or I can continue living the way that I am and it, it'll be fine. Somewhere yeah. you know mm. something needs to change. That's a good point, yeah. 
but you choose not to know it. Mm -hmm. You blind yourself to it. It's a, it's a conscious naivety. Hmm. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. As you're saying, I just can think of so many different things as far as like, <laughs> you know, things I don't, I kind of pretend I don't know, or mm. even, even things I know about, but it's like, where do I, where do I, where do I turn my attention to? If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like you can't handle all those all those problems all at once, you know. Yeah. So it's like, yes, you have all these um, blind spots, but you also can't tackle all of them at one time. And so mm -hmm. you do have to somewhat turn your focus to like what is most important. I think that's the hardest thing is to figure out like what is the most important thing me for me to turn my attention to, because like it might not be helpful for me to turn my attention to the presidential race and Biden right. and, you know, it's like whenever you're trying to put food on the table, yeah, totally. <laughs> you're like, why don't you care about what's going on in the world? And like, well, right now I'm just trying to feed my family, you know, mm -hmm. like that's enough for me, yeah. you know, and that's the most important thing in the world. For yeah. Me. Yeah. And so, yeah. And what, what are the most important things? Like, could you say like kind of what, what the things you are like most, most important to you, what your focus is or hmm. that makes sense? Hmm. The things that are most important to me in my life. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> mm. Yeah, I think it would be something like maintaining relationship with my children mm. and not losing them mm -hmm. to the fallout of my divorce. Mm-hmm. Seeing them successfully into adulthood. And then after that, it's something like taking care of myself mm -hmm. physically and spiritually. Mm. And then it's, well, this one's actually pretty high up there. And another thing that I've got some existential angst about is <clears throat> staying where I am physically. Mm. Um, I love the house that I live in mm -hmm. and I'm worried that I, I'm going to get priced out by Austin continuing to get more and more expensive. Yeah. That's actually pretty important to me. Mm -hmm. And that means that I need to, you know, that, that means like job is then supportive of all of that job is supportive of my kids. It's supportive of where I live. It's supportive <clears throat> of my ability to, live uh, the lifestyle that I want to live. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then I think under that, it's something like reading, writing, art, music. The category is something like creative out output. Yeah. And, you know, as I list that, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I necessarily operate like those are the top of the list all the time, though. Hmm. You know, you get worn out, you get anxious, you get tired, you get bored, and it's easy to pull out the smartphone and start scrolling through something. Hmm. Or even to be distracted by issues and problems that aren't, mm. aren't yours to solve. Totally. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
it's like the famous like when you have a conversation with someone, it's like you end it with like, "Yep, I think we solved all the world's problems," you mm-hmm. know. And uh, well, you all know that's not true, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's interesting. I love what you said about like sort of the idea of like, here's what I'm going to say is are my priorities, and mm-hmm. then then like it's there's always that difference between what you think and say your priorities are versus like what your actual yeah priorities are because I, I I see that I see the same thing in myself so it's not like I'm not being critical of you I'm just saying like that's yeah. I think it, there's just something really true that you ever so often you have to kind of like oh wait a minute this is important to me mm-hmm. that's not as important to me it reminds me of our friend Charlie Parkin when he was on the podcast yeah. he was talking about going to a uh Maybe it was like a story writing seminar or workshop or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said that one exercise they did is you would tell your story to someone. You had to write a story and you, can, you would tell, tell it to someone else or mm-hmm. read it to someone else. And then they got to ask you three questions about the story, but you weren't allowed to answer the questions. You would just take the questions that they had and revise your story appropriately. Hmm. And I think that's so cool because I'm going to answer the question with the story. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, I wonder that about life. Like, am I living my life in such a way that someone could ask the question, you know, what's important to you in your life? Mm. And I wouldn't have to ask to answer that with words. I could just they could just look at my life and see. Damn. And would I like what they saw? Mm-hmm. Would that match what I say my priorities are? Mm-hmm. Like to me, that seems like I want to strive for that. Mm-hmm. I want to strive to live my life such that I would like the answer people saw. When they looked at my life. Are the things that you espouse as important to you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we just end it right there. That's just good. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, such a tricky fun. thing. I mean, seriously, because I think that's something that we deal with, that reality all the time. And I think that provides us with that angst inside is that we we value certain things, whether we know them or not. Mm-hmm. And there's something about our life that is in conflict with that. So it's like there's one part is like understanding and figuring out what those things you actually value. And do you value those things? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing. What do you actually value? Mm-hmm. Is it what you say you value mm-hmm. or what you're actually valuing? Yeah. I think it's the latter. So totally. what is what is the things that you say you value? Mm. What are those? What part of you is that? Yeah. I think we, so this actually goes back to the idea of um, differentiation Hmm. that we've talked about a bit. It's a concept that was introduced to us via David Snarsh. Hmm. And it's a, it's it's very much like Carl Jung's idea of individuation. Mm -hmm. But I think that we all have some idea of ourself that we hope is true. Mm -hmm. And this is a consequence of our, our awareness of the future because 
again, right, the, the future contains potential and it contains risk. The potential that it contains is partly our own potential. Mm. And we can see some future version of ourselves. And so we carry around this idea of who we are and we hope that people see us as that. Mm. And we, we sort of maintain this caricature of ourselves. Is it true? No, not exactly. Are we living up to that? Probably not. Mm -hmm. And I think hopefully as we get older, you can reconcile the caricature of you that you carry around with yourself in your own head and present to other people and hope that people see you as with who you really are. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you can stop maintaining the own, your own caricature of yourself and say, I am, I don't need another character. Mm -hmm. I am, I'm a character all of my own. And you just wake up into that every day. And you're honest with yourself about how you're falling short of who you could be, how you're lying to yourself about what you actually value, how you're ignoring things that need attention, mm -hmm. whether that's through laziness or boredom, distraction. I think that's what individuation is. Hmm. You are actually who you are rather than some bifurcated um, mashup of who you really are and what you say you are. As you're, as you're kind of laying out that whole, the whole thing right there, it, it you kind of made me see this idea that it's really hard to even, I think, approach the idea of individuation or um, differentiation until your 40s and 50s. Um, I think you do experience it in some respects in your younger years, but really, you know, your teens into your 20s, you're trying on a lot of yeah. different things. And it's good and you're supposed to. And part of it is as you try on these different personas or ideas or characters, you start kind of like, ah, oh, that doesn't feel right. You know, I, I always, I've always had this analogy, but it's like, like, I love to try on other people's clothes, you know, metaphorically. Mm -hmm. And so you try on someone's shirt and you're like, oh, this, oh, I really like how this, this stretches, you know, but, oh, the sleeves are too long, you know? And so, so you kind of need to kind of like make a little bit of a adjustment to it, you know? And there's something really healthy about trying other people's clothes on and, and ways and stuff and imitating. And then as you kind of, I feel like as you move into your thirties and then the forties, it's, it, there's a sort of like, there's there's a character that sort of has sort of formulated that's different mm -hmm. and that starts to um, um, solidify, I think. Um, and there's, there's a lot of, I've, I've heard different people talk about this too, as far as even like thinking grow rich, you know, as far as a lot of people don't really come um, become wealthy until their forties and fifties because there's a sort of solidification that kind of happens Hmm. as you hit that midlife um, because you've made a lot of mistakes. You've tried on a lot of things. Right. Most people have had kids and have been married, you know, and and there's a lot of testing, like a forging in the fire type of <laughs> that a lot of the, you know, bullshit's been burned off, you know, and, right. and tried. So, Yeah, I think it's a combination of you've tried a lot of things and failed at a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of learnings 
that you can employ mm -hmm. in future successes. But also, I think in your 30s and 40s, you just generally get a lot busier. You have a lot more responsibilities. And you just literally don't have the time to care so much what people think about you. Mm. Like when you're growing up, that's really all you're focused on. Mm -hmm. And you are trying on other people's clothes. Mm -hmm. you, you're mimicking the way that people you admire speak. You're mimicking the way that they dress, the way that they walk. You're, mm -hmm. you're trying on other ways of being. You're trying chord out. Chord processions. Or yeah, <laughs> chord progressions. <laughs> you, you're trying out different sports mm. and different hobbies. And then you get into your, you know, out of high school and you're trying on different cities and different mm. groups of friends. And, you know, eventually you become so, your your responsibilities increase to the point where you're like, I don't really have time to, mm. <laughs> to mess with all of that. And, and you kind of forget about it and you're just doing what you feel that you need to do. Mm. And that's a much more productive time. But also who you are actually gets to emerge. It seems like you start to kind of um, like all the things that you've kind of learned through your younger years. Uh, you start to kind of discard the things that aren't useful, right? And and there's a winnowing away of of a lot of that youthfulness mm -hmm. into maybe more practical practicality, you know? Right. Which sometimes that's not good, and that's where the artist dies, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But there's also a good part of that too. That's also where the artist thrives and realizes that there's work to be done. You know, it's mm. not just, you know, smoke a doobie and be creative, <laughs> <laughs> which some, some people think that's what art is, you know, mm. it's like, no, there's actually work behind this. Yeah. You, you know, depending on what your impact that you want, it's like, what kind of impact do you want? And you have to work towards that. You know, most artists that are really great, are working, they understand the impact that they want to have. And I feel like the ones that, speaking a little bit too broadly here, but I feel like, well, I guess the ones that mature, cause I, I'm, I'm kind of fighting with a couple ideas here because there are people who have a huge impact, but I'm talking about not just their first album impact, you know, <clears throat> like that's, that's one thing but that's sort of like coming out of your youth in that first album is um, an amalgamation of all of that learning of youth. And it's really that second or third album or hmm. your next series of paints or your next book or two or three, you know, it's, I think it's really hard for most people to move past that first success, you know. Hmm. Early success can be deadly. I think it's because you don't realize that there's work involved, you know, because it came, it came too easy. Right. And well, it's just kind of, I would attribute that almost to luck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm seeing a theme here too, as far as like maturity and, and again, I, I, well, it's really important that like, and this thing is like, it's not, it's not that being young is not, is being young and dumb or something like that. It's like, no, it's actually a huge part of the process. And it's like, right. you need to explore. You need to be open to new things. It's super important because it'll help you in your later years if you're open to new ideas, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think also is so important for parents to be able to provide that foundation, a solid foundation for kids to explore 
and it makes it more safe for them to to explore right. ideas and stuff. <clears throat> yeah, that's a really good point. You need the years of youth. You need to try out a bunch of different projections. You need to be somewhat dissociated <clears throat> simply in order to figure out what you like. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you like is, it isn't like you can do a DNA test for it. You know, you're going to like baseball. You're mm -hmm. going to like <laughs> electric guitar. <laughs> you're going to like engineering. Is it Galactica you know? or something like that that had to do that? I don't know. Uh, it's like a futuristic thing. You, they put people into certain categories based oh. on their DNA and their abilities and stuff like that. Was it Gattaca? Gattaca. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. With Gwyneth Paltrow <clears throat> and Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Oh. Nice. <laughs> I did that. Your one pop reference for the year. <laughs> um, Done. You have to discover what you like, mm -hmm. and you do that by trying. And, and you discover yourself through that because you mm. might, when you're young, you might say that you really like country music because you live in a small Texas town and that's what everyone listens to and you're just trying to fit in. Mm -hmm. And then at some point you realize, no, I don't like country music actually. What I liked was the community mm. that it gave me to, <clears throat> to say that I liked this. Once you mature enough and grow enough to have enough strength to engage that community without having to have that shared like, you might be able to be honest with yourself and say, I actually prefer classical. Mm -hmm. Like nine times out of 10, I'd rather listen to that. Yeah. You know, or pop or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But that's how you discover what you truly like. Because part of who you are is negotiated socially. Like almost, if not, what is that? Is that your phone? <laughs> Somehow, like I turned on. <laughs> yeah, that was my uh, a techno. <laughs> oh, like your music that you were yeah. listening to? I don't know how it got turned on. Oh, it was on my watch. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was kind of creepy. That was kind of creepy. I was like, uh. <laughs> Fun fact about Michael is he likes to. <laughs> rage to techno music <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely my my fun thing it's very individual i don't do that with other people it's just it's just a me thing right yeah <laughs> sorry though you were so getting into some deep stuff there yeah uh negotiating socially yeah yourself who you are is negotiated socially and that means partly you submit to things that you might not otherwise want to do. Hmm. That there's a, a point of um well it's cooperative and you have to make concessions hmm. in order to cooperate. So um you do things maybe you wouldn't otherwise do. You like things maybe you wouldn't otherwise like. Mm -hmm. And what you like isn't just about you anyway. Mm -hmm. What you like is also about how it serves to build your life in such a way that gives you safety and security and family and community relationship. Mm -hmm. You aren't just 
a collection of, you know, selective dopamine hits over certain stimuli, <laughs> you are a relational being. And so who you are, the collection of things that you like, those are all negotiated through your relationship. How did you say that one part that you, like, you, you have to submit, you submit to the collective? Is that how you said that? I don't know if I said it exactly that way, but so there either. is a, there is, submission is a part of that. Yeah. Maybe try some different words. Humility is a part of that. Concession. Mm -hmm. Concession. Yeah. I think that was what you said. I think that was really well said because in order to be in a relationship, you do have to concede. Mm -hmm. And, and a part of that is it's to your benefit. And that by you conceding an aspect of yourself to another person or even maybe to, to defer to something that they like, it actually uh, opens you up to more possibilities and totally. stuff like that. So cause I, I kind of think like, again, going back to the Jungian idea of individuation, it's not individualism and it's not collectivism. Like mm -hmm. those, are, those are not what individuation is. It's Yeah. So there's something about being an individual, but also being a part of a community and that comes with making concessions in order to be a part of a community. Well, and you can't be part of a community if you aren't an individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A community is made up of individuals. Its value is that it's made up of individuals. Mm. And so if you just, the other side of that is if you just submit to everything that the community wants, mm -hmm. And maybe with community, let's just replace that with a single relationship, like a husband and wife. Mm. If the if the husband simply submits to everything that the wife wants, he's not an individual. Mm. And what purpose is he even serving there? Yeah. Just the That's great. just the narcissistic, selfish, consumptive mm. desires of the woman. Mm -hmm. And this is vice versa. If the woman just does whatever the husband wants, you know, she's not an individual. And what value is she serving? Mm-hmm. We, we find value in each other because we are different from one another. Mm. And, you know, you might say, hey, it's Thursday night. We're supposed to hang out. What, you know, we don't have any plans. What do you want to do? And maybe you say, how about bowling? Let's go bowling. <laughs> and I would never have thought to go bowling because I don't really like bowling that much. Mm -hmm. But I might go, yeah, let's go. Mm-hmm. Because it isn't about the bowling. It's about hanging out with you, mm -hmm. you know, and then you're actually a pretty good bowler. This is all hypothetical. I know. You're a pretty good bowler. <laughs> and so I noticed that you did, you, did, you did something a certain way. And I'm like, uh, hey, how'd you do that? And then you learn something about uh, that. And then all of a sudden, maybe you start to like bowling. Mm -hmm. You know, these things aren't intrinsic to you. They are mm -hmm. intrinsic to relationship. Mm -hmm. Like I remember when I was a 13-year-old, my dad took me fishing because he grew up in Corpus Christi and loved fishing. We spent a whole weekend out down in Corpus Christi, fished all day, every day, caught zero things. <laughs> uh -huh. And so I'm like, I don't like fishing. Yeah. It's just not fun to me. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, you know, I haven't really fished since then. If I went fishing with you or with somebody else and had a great time and caught, maybe I would discover what I wasn't seeing about that and start to like it. Mm. So it's a little bit of a sore spot for me. Like I really enjoyed fishing like, really? growing up and, but it was like trout fishing was what I really enjoyed. I like deep sea fishing also, um, but. It's a sore spot for you that I don't like fishing? No. 
No, it's like, it's one thing like skiing and fishing are probably two things mm. I wish I would have or could have imparted to my kids. But living in Austin to ski is like at least 10 hours. Yeah. At least 10 hours. And then, you know, $10,000. Yeah. Just naming like, rights to your next kid. <laughs> it's just not as practical as it was yeah. when I was growing up right. in Amarillo where it's only three hours away or two yeah. and a half hours away. But yeah. Yeah. There's something about like having, creating experiences, whether it be for your kids or your family um, or even like, you know, we take that trip once a year, we didn't take this year, which we should have done, but we didn't. <laughs> it's like, there's something about that, that kind of like helps you kind of get out of your own space, but then also create something individually, but also together, you mm-hmm. know? And, and I wish I, I really want, I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, it's hard. It's easy to judge yourself, but like, you know, owning a business and having so many kids, it's like, you know, I wish that we could have done more traveling with the kids and had more experiences like that, which I'm also thankful for my parents because, you know, we do a beach trip every year yeah, and they have this great experience with their cousins and, you know, a house full of people. And it's like, it's something that we'll never forget. I want to be a grandpa and, and provide that experience for my, mm-hmm. my kids and their, their kids, you know, yeah. my grandkids. I was thinking about this, um, Just thinking about you mentioned that trip that mm-hmm. we take that we both really like to do, mm-hmm. and we didn't do it this last year. Mm-hmm. And I asked myself why, and I think well, <clears throat> because it's hard. Mm. There's a lot of logistics involved, and you're spending money, and you got to plan. You got to take time away from work and time away from family, and all these things. It's hard, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like <clears throat> you get sort of decision fatigue and so maybe you just like oh let's talk about it tomorrow we'll Mm -hmm. deal with it tomorrow and all of a sudden tomorrow becomes next year and you didn't Mm -hmm. go and I think most of the things that we really truly like are that way Hmm. they're difficult you have to you have to work to do the things that you like Hmm. and I think a lot of times it's just much easier to say that you like something and never do it yeah most people don't do what they like because it's too hard. It, it takes work. Yeah. It takes work. It, I, I think that's a that's maybe the fallacy we believe is that if I like something, it shouldn't feel like work. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there is an aspect to that, but and again, it might be because like you know when you first do something, there's this euphoric sort of like oh it was so magical and. And so you're always, you're always seeking that sort of magical moment part, but there's something about devoting yourself to something or, you know, understanding the value of it and creating it intentionally, you know, and there's one thing to stumble upon it haphazardly or by accident Mm -hmm. and be like, whoa, that's amazing. That was so cool. But there's another part about pursuing it intentionally, you know? Yeah. And I think the things that bring us the most meaning are on the other side of that difficulty barrier. Mm. You know, even since we've gone to video on this podcast, I've been editing these little clips and it's actually really hard work. Mm. I know. I'm so thankful you do that. Yeah. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) 
it's surprisingly difficult mm. to take, you know, two to three minutes of dialogue and edit it down to under one minute mm -hmm. for a clip that's coherent and makes sense. And I really enjoy it. Mm. But it is hard. And sometimes I neglect to do it because it's difficult. Mm. Yeah. So you know, um, it, it's true of so many things that I deeply enjoy. It's that way with music, reading and writing. I deeply enjoy those things. And mm. sometimes I don't do them because they are hard. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, when you said that, it's like, I just remember today I, on my journal, I, I wrote 614.23. <laughs> didn't write anything as far as you got <laughs> as far as I got nice. I got distracted with something just didn't yeah. write anything yeah. <laughs> uh, I mentioned uh, Hemingway's memoir I was really impressed by his account of his own work ethic you know he lived poorly so that he could spend his days sitting and writing and it seems like his accounts of all the other people that he was contemporaries with um you know, in particular, I think Scott Fitzgerald, Ezra Pound, I'm trying to remember who else he referenced about this point in particular, but they were all really aware of the work. They considered art work, hmm. and they knew that they had to work hard and consistently at it to have anything of substance to offer to the world. And it seems like over the last hundred years since that period, we have sort of naively begun to think of art as something that just is the result of inspiration hmm. and not the result of work. I wonder if that's – I mean I, I, I think this is fairly objective. Why there hasn't been as much great work, artwork or music and – that's come out hmm. in general. You know, I think you have your one-offs and stuff like that. Maybe it's the same. I might be speaking a little bit out of my, out of my depth on this one, but like, well, it's hard to see in the moment. Yeah, it is. You know, it is. like yeah. when F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote the great Gatsby and Hemingway talks about this, mm -hmm. it was his second book, I think. Mm -hmm. So he, Fitzgerald was already, commercially successful hmm. and he wrote The Great Gatsby and I think it he said or I looked this up I think it sold 23,000 copies in the first year mm -hmm. I mean it was kind of a flop okay like it wasn't a bestseller mm -hmm. but now it's considered the great American novel yeah everybody reads it in yeah. high school you yeah. have to mm -hmm. um, you know so we don't see things in the moment as they are hmm. Or maybe we don't see things in the past as they are. I don't know. But we tend to not recognize great art hmm. when it's just arrived. Yeah. It takes time. And maybe it couldn't be any other way because what makes great art great is it's it's almost too big, too great. Hmm. It's ineffable. So you can't see it clearly. It takes time. It takes time to comprehend. Mm. Yeah. It even takes like the death of someone to sometimes comprehend 
the value that they brought, you know, hmm. like to actually says, and sometimes that also comes with an aggrandizement of the person, you know, and, and, but, um, you know, I think of, uh, I always love Václav Havel, the president of Czech, Czech Republic, mm-hmm. you know, he was like, he was super kind of like, um, ridiculed in a lot of ways, you know, but then whenever he died, it was sort of like, he's, he is like a symbol of the Czech Republic. You right. Know? And that's something that's really, uh, kind of beautiful, but hmm. controversial in life, mm-hmm. loved in death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's a universal truth because you can't know who someone is while they're alive because they're still becoming. Hmm. You can't say who they are. It isn't until a life is over that you can say what it was. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I love that. So what do you think? Anything to, to wrap up on or anything that's uh No. No. I'll just end it right there. Right I think there. that's just fine. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Uh, cheers. Thank Thanks you guys. for listening to us. Yeah. And this love is kind of fun. Yeah, I love you. Love you all out there. <laughs> all right, see you guys. Bye.